fresh, dynamic, and totally prepared. Here's Patricia Raskin with Positive Living on the leader in Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome to Positive Living, the program that brings you practical and inspiring principles for living more authentic, engaging, and passionate lives. Created by Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now, with Positive Living, here's Patricia Raskin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. I'm always happy to be part of Voice America's lineup because Voice America believes that information is power, the Internet is the future, and the future is now, and so do I, and that's why I'm here. My program, Positive Living, brings you practical solutions and positive principles to help you live happy, empowered, and successful lives. We are here on Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, and we are rebroadcast on Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern and noon Pacific. And you can call us at 888-335-5204. You can log on to my website, raskinresources.com, get a copy of my book, Pathfinding, and you can listen to the archive shows that are on my site. We are talking today about democracy. What is democracy? And we're talking about it in a positive light because this show is positive living. We're talking about what we really need to do to be part of our democracy and to, to contribute because it doesn't happen just by a few people. It happens with many of us. And we know that from our elections that we all have to be involved that one person and one vote counts. Well, one person counts in a democracy as well. My guest is Paul Kibble. And his new book is, You Call This a Democracy, Who Benefits, Who Pays, and Who Really Decides. Paul Kibble is an activist, a trainer, a writer, and a violence prevention educator. His book, Uprooting Racism, How White People Can Work for Racial Justice, won the Gustavus Myers Award for Best Human Rights Book in 1996. Welcome, Paul. Hello. I'm glad to be with you. Thanks. Why did you decide to write this book? I wrote it for a couple of reasons. The first reason is that, you know, we have a couple of myths in our country that I think are very destructive to our ability to build our communities and, and lead good lives. One is that um, everybody has equal opportunity. There's a level playing field and that we don't really have classes in the society. And uh, it and the other is that we have a democracy that, in fact, uh, everybody participates freely and equally and that this is the best of all possible political systems. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote this book to describe how the system really works, how the money flows, how the class system works. In fact, we do have a ruling class. We have a top 1% of the population that controls nearly half of the financial wealth of the, United, of the entire country. And also to look at the political system and how that, that extreme concentration of wealth really influences what kind of political system we have. All right. That 1%, mm-hmm. is that, are those people found in government? Well, they're found in governments. They're found in corporations. They're found, some of them don't work. Um, <clears throat> much of that is inherited money. Um, so does it boil down to money, Paul? What, what are the factors in that 1%? The, the factors in the 1% are money. Um, it, it's about how much money you have. Now, really? a smaller group um, of seven to 10,000 primarily white male Christian um, political and corporate leaders are actually the decision makers. I, I, I call those the power elite. 
They're the ones that if you look at the top of the large corporations, political offices, courts, school boards, the various kinds of places that, in, that decisions get made about our lives, that, that that power elite are the people you'll see in charge there. So, okay, so it's a combination then of people who have the money who are maybe giving the money to the folks who make the decisions who are also in the power elite. Exactly. It's a combination. Okay, so now when I listen to this, my question is, okay, what about the little guy who um, really believes in the community and wants to be part of it and feels like maybe their voice is not getting heard? Well, I think, first of all, that they're right. Their voice isn't getting heard. We've seen in the last couple of elections just how much we, uh, so many people are disenfranchised from the political system. But one of the myths that the ruling class is, is allowed to uh, promote um, is that democracy means going to the polls once a year, voting for a, a couple of uh, rich white men who are put in front of us as candidates, and that that's really what democracy is all about. Now, if you think about it, that democracy is about participating in the decisions that influence your life. So that means that we could talk about democracy in our workplaces. We could talk about democracy in our schools. We can talk about democracy in our families. That democracy is an everyday practice. It's not a once-every-four-year event. And so one of the ways that we have to reclaim the whole concept of democracy is to not buy into the myth that it's just this uh, unique and every-once-in-a-while experience. Okay. So... When we do that, then, does that mean getting involved in committees and on boards and in, in community projects and in town government? Uh, definitely it does. Um, there's just a, a whole wide array of ways for us to get involved. I think that the first thing, though, is to think about what would democracy look like in our families, in our classrooms, in our workplaces, um, mm -hmm. there, there's a lot of formal political channels. You can get involved in the local um, political system. You can, you know, you can run for office. You can do this. You can raise money for this candidate or that. Mm -hmm. So those are all kind of traditionally seen as political choices and right. opportunities. But in fact, if we're really serious about democracy, then democracy becomes an everyday practice. How do, if we're a teacher in a classroom, how do we create a democratic classroom in which the students actually get to participate mm -hmm. in how the classroom is run mm. um, and, and making sure that everyone is included, every voice is heard. How in our workplaces do we um, not just assume that there's a, a dominant hierarchy, that in fact that we want to make sure that um, um, everybody's voice is heard, everybody can participate, that people are respected and included. Um, that there's a dem democratic process, you know, it's not, we need to really widen and expand our horizons about what, what it means to, for there to be a democracy, even in our families. I mean, many of us don't think about, but we, we raise our kids in, in a hierarchy. The adults have the complete say, um, and, and kids grow up in families and schools where they never get to participate in a democratic process. And then when they turn 18, we expect them to be democratic citizens. All right, let's, 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 right, and, and this all makes sense. So let's give an example. If you were a teacher in a classroom, before we go to the family example, what might you do to illustrate that principle of creating a democracy within the classroom? Well, one of the first things to do at the beginning of the year might be to have a class meeting and to have the, the students and, and the teachers 
decide what are the guidelines that they want to run the class by? What are what are the ways they want to interact with each other? How are they going to take care of each other? When there's disagreements, how is how are those going to get worked out? How are they going to make sure that some people don't dominate the classroom? Um, things like that. How are they going to set up a cooperative learning process so that it's not everybody competing against everybody else in the class, but it's it's a cooperative it's a community of learners, including the teacher, who are trying to discover you know new knowledge and new ways of looking at things. Mm. So there's there's a lot of kind of methodology about building a cooperative classroom, and uh, it all starts with actually opening up the process and inviting the students to become participants, active how, activists. How would you apply that to the family, Paul? Well, one of the things that we've always done in our family is to have family meetings and to actually, from a very early age, bring bring our children into um, sitting down once in a while um, to talk about what's going on in the family, what things are coming up, um, trying to give them, uh, you know, at young ages, very limited amounts of decision-making or participation. But as they grow older, more and more participation in, in various kinds of the decisions that the family makes. Um, everything from how are we going to get the chores done around the house to where do we want to go on a family vacation to things like that. Um, mm -hmm. It just, and we've seen our, our children grow um, in their ability to participate and their ability to think about what their ideas are, to listen to each other, mm -hmm. to work out compromises when people have different, you know, ideas. So this this idea of democracy is something we can begin to reclaim. You know, in and all starting our own homes. Right. In all the places that we live and work. Mm -hmm. And so you have found with your own family, with your own children, that your children are more, then they're more aware. I mean, that they, they know how to contribute more and share more and communicate more, I would imagine, by doing this. Right. And they expect to be able to participate, which is what you want, you know, citizens to do. But what happens, Paul, if there are certain things in your family that, you, that you know, is, are going to be unilateral decisions between you and your spouse? How do you how do you then approach your child when your child says, "But wait a minute, I was just in a family meeting where I got to decide, and now you're not letting me make this decision." Well, I think a couple of things that that have come up for us. One is that we need to be we we've always tried to be very clear what decisions are ours because we have you know certain responsibilities for mm -hmm. the, the well-being of the family, and which which are open to the group. You know. Okay. Um, and we haven't set up the kids to expect to be making decisions about, you know, some major purchase or something and then let them down. You know, we, we've tried to be very clear about that. Um, and sometimes when they challenge us, it's it's fine. Um, it, we should be challenged. Sometimes they're about things that, in fact, they can very well have input into and decision-making around, but we just automatically assumed that we were the adults we would make the decision. So actually having that, that having them feel self-confident enough that they can challenge authority is absolutely the essence of a democracy. Okay. If citizens can't speak out and challenge the government, then, then it isn't a democracy. Mm. And so, so we need to think about how do we train our kids, our young people, to be able to participate in that. And that's what we're going to talk about when we come back from the break. My guest is Paul Kibble. His book is You Call This a Democracy, Who Really Benefits, Who Pays, and Who Decides. Paul Kibble is an activist, trainer, writer, and violence prevention educator. His book, Upcoming Racism, 
uprooting racism, how white people can work for racial justice, won the Gustavus Myers Award for the best human rights book in 1996. And what he's talking about here is who's making the decisions and who are the power elite and how can we really, if we're concerned, what is it then we can do to contribute? And that's what we're talking about today. My guest again is Paul Kivel. You're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. You can call us after the break at 888-335-5204. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. For an autographed copy of Patricia's new book, Pathfinding, Seven Principles for Positive Living, log on to RaskinResources.com. Information you need, when you need it, VoiceAmerica.com. Tune in every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time to Voice America for True Life in God with Betsy Serafin. On the show, Betsy will talk about the importance of having God in your life, as well as discuss how God is calling Christians to come together in the heart. So make it a point to tune in to True Life in God every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on America's Voice, VoiceAmerica.com. In today's world, it's hard to find the truth with anything. Is there such a thing as the truth? Where and how can I find it? Will someone just give it to me straight? Tune in every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific to Mario Verdad, an exciting new show that will give it to you straight every time and tackle the truth behind everything from political issues and crime to vocational and career counseling. So log on and tune in every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. This is Dr. Pat Basile, and I am America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Tune in every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific to Voice America Health and Wellness for Staying Healthy with Dr. Elson Haas. Each week, Dr. Haas will focus on a different health-related topic as well as have on many expert guests that will give you many practical health tips that you can apply to your life. So tune in and improve your health with Dr. Haas and Staying Healthy every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific. Tune in every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time to Voice America for Global Security with Victor Plesner. Global Security is the show that covers international security issues for all walks of life since 9-11 and what the future may present to keep our world safe. You will hear from leaders of global security companies as well as authors of books on law enforcement and terrorism. So join us Fridays at 8 a.m. for Global Security with Victor Plesner right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. The defendant, having been found guilty, is sentenced to a term of five years imprisonment. Defendant will be remanded to custody immediately. On June 4th, my big brother was sentenced to five years in prison for a gun crime. That day, he sentenced me to five years of walking home alone from school. When you commit a gun crime, your family pays the price. Gun crimes hit home. A public service announcement brought to you by Project Safe Neighborhoods and the Ad Council. Continuing to be the authority in Internet Talk Radio, you're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, everyone. We are back. You're listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. I'm always happy to be part of Voice America, really, on VoiceAmerica.com, which is America's voice. Voice America believes that information is power, the Internet is the future, and the future is now, and so do I, and that's why I am here. My program, Positive Living, brings you practical solutions and positive principles to help you live happy, 
empowered, and successful lives. Today is certainly no exception in that. We're talking about how to become empowered and proactive. You can call us at 888-335-5204. We are here on Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, and we broadcast on Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern and noon Pacific. And you can log on to my website, which is raskinresources.com, get a copy of my book, Pathfinding, and listen to my archive shows. My guest is Paul Kibble. He's the author of the new book, You Call This a Democracy, Who Benefits, Who Pays, and Who Really Decides. Paul Kibble is an activist, a trainer, a writer, and a violence prevention educator. And he won an award for the Gustavus Myers Award for Best Human Rights Book in 1996. Welcome back, Paul. Hello. We are talking about how we can get involved and what that means. Now, many times there are distractions, and so we often don't realize, you know, who is ruling or who isn't or how we really can get involved or we get distracted in other things. Talk about that. You know, really, if you you were part of the 1% and you controlled all this wealth and power, you wouldn't want people to know about that, right? Because Mm -hmm. we we would get organized and angry and do something about it. So the ruling class has set up a lot of diversions to keep our attention elsewhere. Um, Things like advertising and and consumer consumerism, um, spectator sports, uh, wars overseas, uh, gambling, drugs and alcohol, uh, just all kinds of ways um, to keep us distracted. And then also a lot of things that keep us afraid. You know, they're constantly in the media. There's uh, stories about West Nile disease and anthrax and and, and wars and terrorists and Im- illegal immigrants. And we're constantly fed a diet of distractions and fear. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of these things take up a tremendous amount of our time and energy. And also, if, if we have fear, then sometimes don't we get into that hopelessness of, well, gee, it doesn't make any difference. I'm just one voice. I'm not going to be heard. Right. Not only hopelessness, but also we begin to scapegoat people who don't really have power. We start blaming welfare mothers instead of corporate executives for the mess that we're in. Mm. So one of the things we have to do is, first of all, is in our, our own daily lives, where, where do we get distracted? You know, what are those things that we spend more time on than we really want to or should in time that we could be spending with our family mm. or with our neighbors or you know, organizing to do to build our community uh, and make it stronger, helping out in our kids' classrooms. So we have to look at, you know, first of all, where do we get hooked in? And then we have to look at, well, where do we buy into the scapegoating? Who, you know, who do we sometimes blame for our problems that, in fact, are not the ones causing uh, job loss in our communities and mm-hmm. lack of health care and mm-hmm deteriorating housing? Um, do we blame uh, Afghanistan's, uh, Afghanistanis or do we blame illegal immigrants or do we blame welfare mothers or do we, you know, do we in some way buy into this blaming and scapegoating? So if then we are doing that, then probably I would imagine the advice you would give is, look, if you feel this way, then get involved and get your voice heard. Right. The first thing to do is to get more information, is find out, listen to programs like this and alternative media and um, begin to talk about who really makes the decisions. Um, that's why the subtitle of my book is Who Benefits, 
who pays and who really decides. And the reason we want to know that is so that we can go right to the source. Exactly. Is that correct? Exactly. Because the, if we can answer those three questions, we, we will know where the decisions are getting made. And then we can get together with other people and do something about it. And that may be, you know, in our local school district. It may be in our neighborhood. Um, there's just lots of ways to get involved. But unless we're clear about what the problem is, mm-hmm. then what, however we get involved will be misguided right. and misdirected. Well, and now the other part of that, the next piece of that then would be once we try to get involved, how do we do this sort of cross-class alliance where the middle class works with the working class or the upper class works with the middle class or however it goes, where people, you know, cross-pollinate in a sense? Right. Well, and that's one of the things that the ruling class has been very good at is um, setting up the middle class and the working class to be angry um, and, and scared of each other rather than looking mm. at who's really making decisions. So, mm. you know, especially as middle class people, um, who have some education and resources and some job security, they're often in positions to carry out ruling class decisions by monitoring and regulating and providing services for poor and working class mm-hmm. people. And I'm going to give you an example of something that I have seen in, in a community, and, and because I think this is a real issue. You have a small community, for example, where you have the folks that, you know, are the old-timers. Um, they're the descendants of the land. And they've been there, they're proud of it, they're very, um, you know, they've protected it, they've written about it. Now in come the newcomers. And they buy up the property, they raise up the taxes, and, you know, they come in and they start moving into some of these areas where the old-timers were. And they look at the old-timers sort of with disdain because they have the old ways and they're not as neat and, they, you know, they don't, they don't do all this, they do things in sort of a backwards way according to the newcomers. And the old-timers are getting more and more upset because their taxes are going up and they feel like they're losing what they had before. Now, the reason I'm mentioning that is that here you have sort of the heritage piece and then you have the new people in the community who can make a difference if they want to, but then you get that division because they're both angry at each other. And I'm sure that you've seen that in many communities. How do you work with something like that, Paul? Well, obviously that's a, a challenging situation. It's, like you said, it's not uncommon. And one of the things we have, we have to come back to our discussion about democracy is how do we set up processes where people's voices are heard? So people right. can sit down in community meetings and, or in a neighborhood meeting and talk to each other and find out what their concerns are. And also analyze what we do, what we call a, a power analysis. Where are decisions getting made in this in this community? Is it the city council? Is it the county government? Is it the state government? Is it the business, the developers? Um, where where is really the root of the the problems? And how can we take into account everybody in the room? The old timers, the new timers, the young people, the older mm. people. Um, and come up with some solutions that are going to really mobilize people. Mm. And we can only do that if we're committed to a democratic process where everybody's voices are going to be heard, not just the ones who have been there longest or who have the most money or who have the most education, but really everybody's voice. Mm. Mm. And, and there are some neighborhood organizing projects around the country that, in fact, people have come together and done some remarkable organizing and revitalization of their communities. But it's taken, it takes time, it takes a real commitment to a democratic process, and it takes uh, a doing a power analysis and really where, who is making these decisions and, and, and how do we have to address that? 
And do you think sometimes that information is difficult to get, or can you usually get it readily? You have to dig sometimes to get that information. And sometimes, sometimes is that hidden? Sometimes it's hidden. Um, it's, it's usually it's not it's not impossible to find. Sometimes it takes some time to do some research to see who are the contributors to the local politician, where does the money come from, um, where are the meetings, where are the networks of influence, um, you know, whose interests are at stake. Are they local interests? Are they international corporate interests? You know, we, there's a lot of different levels that may be influencing a local community, and some of them are very visible, um, and some of them are quite uh, remote in many ways. So. It, it, it takes some people coming together and um, doing uh, some research, and it's not impossible. It's a very, you know, that, that information is available. Okay. All right, well, we have a couple minutes to the break, so let's okay, well, talk. Let's, go ahead. Let's talk more about what it means for this cross-class alliance, because I think that, you know, if we're operating under the myth that we're all middle class or that everybody is the same, then we can't recognize class and class differences, and therefore we can't recognize if we have some class privilege because we've been able to get an education, or we have a, uh, we've been able to buy a house, or we have a secure job. And so, first we have to be able to acknowledge that that class is an issue, that it's a divisive issue often, that just like race and gender and um, other issues, that it can get in the way if we don't acknowledge it and, and take it seriously. Um, and that those of us with some class privilege who, who do have some of those resources uh, have to both think about what does it mean to be an ally to working class people mm -hmm. if you're middle class? What does it mean to give up some of the sense of entitlement to making decisions and to open up the conversation to really seriously value and respect the input of people who may, may not have the same education or may be coming from different cultural backgrounds? Mm -hmm. Well, and that means giving up some of your prejudice. And we may say there isn't a lot of prejudice, but there is, isn't there, Paul? Right. There's definitely not, and part of it comes from the ignorance or the inability to even talk about class, and that's one of the powers of the ruling class is they've created this myth that we don't have to talk about class because everybody's the same. But obviously we know everybody's not the same. We look around, we talk to each other. You, people evaluate other people based upon their their lifestyle, their clothes, their education, their cars, their houses. Mm -hmm. We're constantly making decisions about mm -hmm. class background. Mm. All right. When we take a, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about this and more about sort of the implications for activism and organizing and working with, with the people in the community who make the decisions. All right. My guest is Paul Kivel. He's the author of the new book, You Call This a Democracy, who benefits, who pays, and who really decides. Paul, do you have a website? I do. It's www.paulkivel, that's K-I-V as in Victor, E-L, dot com. And all of my books are available there as well as articles and exercises and other resources. Okay, that's great. Paul Kivel is an activist, trainer, writer, and violence prevention educator and has written many books and one won the award for the Best Human Rights Book in 1996. Folks, you're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. For an autographed copy of Patricia's new book, Pathfinding, Seven Principles for Positive Living, log on to RaskinResources.com. Cutting Edge. 
challenging, stimulating. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. Kevin Garnett, Tracy McGrady, Kobe Bryant. Today, more and more student-athletes are bypassing college and heading straight to the pros. Matt Bush, Freddie Adu, LeBron James. Discuss the benefits and pitfalls of going pro on the Sport Mavericks with Ida Moyer and Mama Starks every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Sport Mavericks provides straightforward, no-nonsense talk about the current and sometimes controversial topics facing student-athletes and their parents today. Agents want to make money. Schools want the publicity. The Sport Mavericks wants what's best for you. So whether you or your child is thinking about bypassing college or looking for the best university to showcase their talents, listen to the Sport Mavericks with Ida Moyer and Mama Starks every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Sport Mavericks, smart talk for parents and athletes. Hi, I'm Jennifer Lewis, and you're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. Stay on top of the latest developments which may affect your physical, emotional, and spiritual condition with Update on Health with Dr. Peter C. Tan every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Learn how some simple measures can reduce your chance of getting cancer by as much as 70%. Find out what you can do to combat obesity, diabetes type 2, high cholesterol, and more. It's all about vitality, fitness, endurance, and longevity. Listen to Update on Health every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on VoiceAmerica.com. Bringing the world together. You're listening to America's Voice, VoiceAmerica.com. Attention shoppers, if anyone is missing a rather plump set of love handles, please come to the customer service counter and claim them. The ample love handles were lost in the produce department where their former owner had purchased fruits and veggies to munch on during the big game. Thank you and have a good day. Small step number 81, snack on fruits and veggies. It's just one of the many small steps you can take to get healthy. Learn more at www.smallstep.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. When tax time comes, are you the person that goes to your accountant with a shoebox literally full of receipts? Stop wasting your accountant's time as well as your own by organizing your finances with the help of Joe Dunphy and Poor Richard's Shoebox. Heard live every Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, Poor Richard's Shoebox will let you know what you can do to organize for tax time as well as how to get the most out of your retirement. So get all of your receipts together and tune in to Poor Richard's Shoebox with Joe Dunphy every Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on the Voice America Radio Network. The defendant, having been found guilty, is sentenced to a term of five years imprisonment. Defendant will be remanded to custody immediately. On June 4th, my big brother was sentenced to five years in prison for a gun crime. That day, he sentenced me to five years of walking home alone from school. When you commit a gun crime, your family pays the price. Gun crimes hit home. A public service announcement brought to you by Project Safe Neighborhoods and the Ad Council. Continuing to be the authority in Internet Talk Radio, you're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, everyone. We are back. You are listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. I'm always happy to be part of Voice America because Voice America believes that information is power, the Internet is the future, and the future is now, and so do I, and that's why I'm here. My program, Positive Living, brings you practical solutions and positive principles to help you live happy, empowered, and successful lives. You can call us with your questions at 888-335-5204. We're here on Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, 
and we broadcast on Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern and noon Pacific. And you can log on to my site, raskinresources.com, for a copy of my book, Pathfinding, and also to listen to the archive shows. We're talking today about democracy, what it really means, and how we can build community within our communities. My guest is Paul Kivel. He's the author of You Call This a Democracy, Who Benefits, Who Pays, and Who Really Decides. Paul Kivel is an activist, trainer, writer, and violence prevention educator. His book, Uprooting Racism, How White People Can Get Work, Can Work for Racial Justice, won the Gustavus Myers Award for Best Human Rights Book in 1996. You can log on to his website, which is paulkivel.com. Welcome back, Paul. Thank you. All right, let's talk about the media and all of this. We were talking about that during the break, that, you know, the media doesn't always um, portray safety or security. We hear the headlines and the, ne- the negativity. And so sometimes that may also put us off in terms of making a contribution. Right. I think, first of all, we need to realize that the media is uh, generally, by and large, owned by huge international corporations, which are run by the power elite and serve the interests of the ruling class. So we're fed a constant diet of misinformation and lies and stereotypes and fear. And part of what that does is make us want to hunker down in our homes and just take care of our family and and not venture out, not reach out to other people, not not feel like we can work with other people. So we have to really, I think it's great to limit the amount of media that comes into our houses. Um, both for our own health and for the health of our kids, and to reach out and talk to people and reach out and get involved in local activities that um, break down the isolation that many of us feel. There's nothing uh, better for breaking down stereotypes and misinformation than getting out in the community and being involved with community service projects, working with other people to actually make the community better. Mm. Yes. And, and I think I, I'd like to address a little bit about the isolation, mm-hmm. um, that we often get into our work and come home and um, feel, again, isolated because we're not participating. But right. then the time factor comes in, Paul. Well, I think that's really important. Between working and commuting and taking care of kids, there's not a lot of time left. And one of the things, I mean, we, we tend to want to think that we have the best standard of living here in the United States, but in many countries, people don't work as long hours as they do in this country. In fact, uh, the, in the U.S., work hour, working hours per week and per year have gone up, and we have fewer vacations and longer work weeks than many other countries. So we need to, and we need to think about, you know, we're, we're in fact being manipulated um, and it, it's true, we have not so much time. Um, but that doesn't mean that there aren't ways that we spend time um, on the weekends or in the evenings with friends or family or neighbors or coworkers. that there are lots of ways to begin to get involved. One of the things is that we tend to think that that is different than the time we spend with our families. Mm-hmm. But I think when we talk about getting out in the community and being active, we, we need to be talking about community service with our kids and taking them with us out into the community, giving them a sense of making a difference, of getting involved, of, of learning about other people in the community. So, so it becomes a family project. It becomes part of our family time, doing things that care about other people in the, in the community. And for, for us and our family, that was really enhanced our, the quality of our family time and led to very rich and meaningful discussions mm-hmm. and really was a vital part of our kids' education. 
And yet you just don't see that very much, do you? Well, not as much as we might like, but there's a lot of people who try to do that, um, and we need to find, uh, you know, ways to make that easier. We need to have our schools and our religious congregations really have a lot, open up a lot more opportunities for people to go out and make a difference and to come together and to, you know, rebuild the community in various ways. Mm-hmm. And often work on your strengths. Right? Mm-hmm. Find people who can contribute. That's the beauty of volunteerism, that you can contribute in a way that you want to rather than in a way that you have to. Right. You know, you pick your strength, not your weakness. And I think that there's a lot of people are, are hungry for the opportunity um, and I know that for young people in particular, you know, we, young people have a tremendous sense of caring and, and justice and fairness, and, and they welcome the opportunity to get out in the community and to be learning and making a difference, feeling like they're important, that they can, you know, help. And um, we need, whether it's in our schools or in our families or our religious congregations, we need to be taking them out there and, and nurturing that sense of, of community involvement. That's, but don't, that, but don't that's, you think on the other side, Paul, that many years ago, 40, 50 years ago, I mean, kids might have been involved in the doing, but not so much in the decision-making. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, and I think that that's still largely the case. Um, and one of, this can be a very democratic process in the family or in a classroom where the kids... The young people decide what they want to get involved with and what kind of projects. And they can be part of the process of determining, you know, what gets done. What, what, uh... Do you have a story of maybe a community you've worked with or something you've written about that you could share for us that you think is a role model or inspirational? Well, uh, I've seen many different kinds of things that I could talk about. One... One is just that I know some preschool teachers, and, you know, we think about preschool kids as, you know, no sense of the world, no sense beyond their own immediate needs for, you know, food and playtime and things like that. But these two teachers noticed that a lot of the students would come to them with concerns about what was going on. It may have been that they passed a person who was homeless on the street or that they heard about a war going on, um, and that the kids wanted to do things about it. And so at first, the teachers didn't really respond except explain a little bit about the situation or try to, you know, um, calm their fear about what was going on. But then they realized that this was a tremendous opportunity to help these kids get involved. So they they started talking with the the students in the class um, about not only the situation, but what were some things that they could do about it. And they brought in some different ideas. and so they started organizing the kids into projects where they could go and actually do something. They could feed, you know, give out sandwiches at a homeless shelter. For mm-hmm. Or they could write letters to the president about war. Or um, if um, they saw something on the TV that they didn't like, they could write to the, um, the executives of the, of the TV corporation. Mm. Um, and so even at three, four, and five years old, these young people were learning that they have a voice and they have a role to play and they can make a difference in some way. And so, you know, this is um, much earlier than most of us think that our young people are able to uh, do anything, but we need to really start thinking early on about how to get them involved. They wrote These two teachers wrote a book called That's Not Fair, mm-hmm. which is, uh, it describes ways to get young preschool students involved in doing That's projects. That's terrific. Like That's terrific because, again, what we're doing is 
they're learning skills that they really wouldn't have had. I mean, if you look back on, you know, on our childhood and our generation, I don't think we were taught these skills. Do you, Paul? No, not at all. We were told to sit down, be quiet, listen, um, learn, you know, study hard, <laughs> memorize what we needed to, and then at some magic point when we got into college or out of college or into the work world or whatever, we would just, then we would be able to participate. Um, but we didn't get any practice. And so we're, we're back to the discussion about a democracy. A democracy means that the citizens have to have the experience and skills to be, to participate. And that's something that we all need to develop. Well, and, and, um, so for people listening to this interview and really wanting to know more or may want to talk to you about this or want some ideas, they can go to your website, uh -huh. right, at paulkibble.com and, uh, and then uh, they can email you from there. Uh huh. And they can also email me at uh, pkivel at mindspring.com. Okay. Do you teach seminars and workshops on this and trainings on how to do this? Uh, yes, I do. I travel quite extensively. I also have written a book specifically about raising boys because there's a lot of concern about boys being violent and boys, you know, being a problem. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote a book called Boys Will Be Men, Raising Our Sons for Courage, Caring, and Community. Yes, and you and I did an interview on that. Right. Good. And it gives a lot of practical suggestions about um, raising boys and young men in ways that actually help them become active participants in the community. And we also have some curricula that are used in high schools and middle schools. Uh, there's information about all these on the website um, mm -hmm. that help young people come together across differences and to talk about what's going on in their community and to decide what they want to do about that and to get out there and, and begin to make a difference. Now, that book that you wrote, um, Boys, tell me the title again. Boys Will Be Men. How about Girls Will Be Women? Well, that's the... Uh, what I realized, though, was that there were s several books about raising strong, independent young women, um, but there was much less attention paid to boys. Really? Um, yeah. Maybe because that's what is expected of them anyway? Well, yeah. I, I, I think that partly because of the women's movement, there was a lot of attention to how do we help young girls break out of the traditional expectations and roles mm -hmm. and give them the tools they need to you know, to change and, and to be more powerful. But there we there wasn't a lot of thinking about, well, what do we do with the boys? Mm -hmm. um, and so there was really a, a lack of material. All right, we're going to take a break. We're talking to Paul Kimmel, author of You Call This a Democracy, Who Benefits, Who Pays, and Who Really Decides. We still have another segment left. You're listening to Positive Living. I'm Patricia Raskin. We'll be right back. For an autographed copy of Patricia's new book, Pathfinding, Seven Principles for Positive Living, log on to RaskinResources.com. Informative, educational, insightful. You're listening to VoiceAmerica.com. Hello, this is Rory Garay, President of Greyhound Pets of America and host of Greyhounds Make Great Pets on Voice America. Join me every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific and 2 p.m. Eastern for an insightful and enjoyable talk about one of man's best friends, the Greyhound. Learn about the history of the Greyhound, discuss proper obedience and training techniques, and find out more about the Greyhound racing industry and what they are doing to help the adoption effort of the former race dog. If you own a Greyhound or just love dogs like I do, join me for Greyhounds Make Great Pets every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific right here on America's Voice. VoiceAmerica.com. Go beyond success. 
and discover a deeper meaning to life. Join host Jeffrey Gitterman and his guests, the premier thought leaders in business, politics, science, spirituality, and culture, who have reached the pinnacle of financial and professional entertainment in their fields, only to discover a profound lack of fulfillment with what our culture defines as success. So won't you tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time to Jeffrey Gitterman and Beyond Success, redefining the meaning of prosperity, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Connecting your world, the Internet's number one talk and information station, voiceamerica.com. How does the idea of adding 20 years to your life appeal to you? Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time for the Liquid Love Show with Louie Ma. The Liquid Love Show is about micromanaging your physical body so that you can activate all of your 668 trillion cells. On the show, you will discover the secrets of cellular renewal that bring about fully satisfying physical, mental, emotional, and sexual life, as well as teach you why people in China are living to be 100-plus years without any degenerate diseases. Once again, that's The Liquid Love Show with Louis Moss, every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. How can you have a better life on your terms? You can have a better life because you can become better. Stop waiting for everything around you to change. Tune in every Wednesday at 1 o'clock Pacific Standard Time on Voice America for Life on Your Terms with David Martin. David Martin, an internationally recognized speaker, will teach you what successful people are doing. So join us Wednesday at 1 o'clock Pacific Standard Time for Life on Your Terms with David Martin. Right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. The world leader in Internet Talk Radio. Internet Talk Radio. You're listening to America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Hi, everyone. We are back. You are listening to Positive Living, and I'm Patricia Raskin. And as I say always, I'm always happy to be part of Voice America, which is America's Voice. Because Voice America believes that information is power, the Internet is the future, and the future is now. And so do I, and that's why I'm here. My program, Positive Living, brings you practical solutions and positive principles to help you live happy, empowered, successful lives. And we're talking tonight about, or today, about empowerment. We're talking about having a voice, speaking your voice in a way that is positive and productive. We are talking about living in a democracy and how really to be democratic. My guest is Paul Kivel. He's the author of You Call This a Democracy, Who Benefits, Who Pays, and Who Really Decides. He's written many books. Paul Kivel is an activist, trainer, writer, and violence prevention educator. His book, Uprooting Racism, How White People Can Work for Racial Justice, won the Gustavus Myers Award for the Best Human Rights Book in 1996. Welcome back, Paul. All right, we have a few minutes left, so let's talk about, in a very practical way, how people can start in their daily lives to participate in their communities to really bring forth the true principles of democracy. Being uh, a citizen in a democracy is not only a privilege, but it's a responsibility. And so we need to take that responsibility seriously, uh, otherwise we'll lose it. And that means that we need to be thinking, I think, about everyday democracy, not just the once-a-year voting that we've talked about. Um, the ruling class would like us to think that, uh, that we'll accept, uh, you know, having uh, 
voting every once in a while, and that the rest of the time they'll just go on making the decisions that decide things in our lives. So we need to start out by saying, okay, where can I implement democracy today in my relationships? And the first place starts in our family. We talked a little bit about how we, you know, can do that in terms of family meetings, even with our partners. Um, you know, very often uh, I know as a man that I was trained to think that, well, the man would make all the decisions in the family and that, well, I'd, I'd ask my wife for her opinions, but, you know, when it, when it really came down to the bottom line, the final say should be mine. So I have to even look at that assumption and, and how do I create a real mutual respectful relationship built on, built on democratic principles. Um, and then if we're teachers, we have to look at our schools, our classrooms. A lot of us work with young people, and we have to say, how do we invite them into participating, to helping make the choices um, so that they begin to build democratic skills? And then also in our workplaces. Um, and this is harder because we, we're, we have such a hierarchical kind of structure for our, even nonprofits are very often organized, very top-down. But we need to keep, um, pushing the democratic agenda. We need to keep challenging people to say, why aren't people's voices being heard? Who's being excluded? Who can we bring in to make this process more democratic? Mm-hmm. And, and be aware. I mean, and, and consciously act. Now, the question I have is, what if you're trying to do this and you're really conscientious about it, Paul, but you go to a meeting or you go to two meetings and you feel like um, you're, you're not going to get heard? So you come home discouraged and you drop out. What do you say to those folks? I think, you know, it's, it's natural to feel discouraged if we're not heard right away. But we need to realize that this is a long-term process, that if we're really serious about building our communities up and, and um, taking control away from the ruling class and putting it back in the, in the hands of us and our friends and neighbors and communities, that it takes time, that it's hard work, that it's, it's very satisfying, it's very exciting work when you build new relationships with people, when you work through conflicts. But it doesn't just happen overnight. And so we need to keep um, feeling like it's that this is the only thing, the, the alternative to participating is isolation, it's cynicism, it's fear, and ultimately it's, it takes away our de- democracy. It makes a mockery of our democracy. Mm-hmm. So we, we need to realize that the stakes are very high here and that if we just show up for a meeting or two and, and we don't get our way or we don't feel like we're listened to, that we need to think, okay, what's going on here? What's keeping me And from stop taking it personally, I hear you. Take it I hear personally. It. Yeah. Um, who can I talk to? Mm-hmm. How can I organize with other people to change this? Mm-hmm. So we need to think strategically, um, not personally, but strategically. How can I make a difference? And, and look at the bigger picture. And look at the bigger picture. And often, you know, in our society, everything is individual. You're, you're supposed to come in and do it yourself and by yourself. But in fact, change happens when people come together. And so we need to get together with neighbors, with colleagues, with uh, other like-minded folks and say, okay, this system isn't working. Uh, You know, this city council meeting isn't working or this community group isn't working. How are we going to organize to make it different? Mm -hmm. And as you said, really coming together and working together. And so many of the people that I interview, when they talk about success in anything, whether it's personal success or group success, one of the key hallmarks is that you must have a team because you can't do it by yourself. Right, absolutely. And that means building relationships, and building relationships take time. People just don't trust you just because you walk in the room. 
They want to see who you are. They want to know where you come from and, and what you stand for. And you do, too, with, with other people. So it's about building relationships. It's about building a common agenda. It's about overcoming, working across differences. And, and we talk about class differences, but cross-racial differences, cross-gender differences. Um, we, you know, this is, this is the kind of work that really strengthens not only our community in terms of change, but builds our sense of support um, in, just in terms of our personal everyday lives. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you so much. It's a wonderful interview. Really appreciate it. And people can log on to your website, paulkibble.com. Paul Kibble is the author of You Call This a Democracy, Who Benefits, Who Pays, and Who Really Decides. And he's saying get involved because you can have your voice heard. Thanks, Paul. Stay on the line for a minute. Thank you for coming on the program. Hey, my pleasure. Great. Um, next week, we're going to talk to Larry Croce, who has a very interesting book called A Very, Very Good Year. And he really talks about the international debate on euthanasia and the right to die, which continues to rage all over the world. And this long saga of Terry Shavo has helped us to keep this issue hot in the news. And what he's doing is talking about, he's been a freelance writer and a photographer for 25 years, and he uh, has personal experiences with this. And he really wants to talk about, he has strong feelings about the issue from, stemming from his own life experiences. And so he, we're going to talk about this, and he talks about his year of 1976, which is the very best and worst year of my life, which for the very first time that controversial issue was there, and he had to deal with his terminally ill mother. So it's a memoir, and it should be, and it's very well done. Folks, uh, you've been listening to Positive Living. We are always on Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific, and we are rebroadcast on Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern and noon Pacific. Log on to Raskin Resources and get a copy of my book, Pathfinding, Seven Principles for Positive Living, which is in the process of being revised and updated. And also, you can listen to my archive shows, and you can log on again, raskinresources.com. Until next time, I love you all. It's an honor and a pleasure to be with you. I've been on the air many years doing positive living, and I believe this is the mission to really pollinate through the airways as my symbol, the bumblebee, does, and to show you how you can make a difference and have the life that you want. Until next week, I'm Patricia Raskin. Have a great day. Positive Living with Patricia Raskin, a catalyst for positive change. For an autographed copy of Patricia's book, Pathfinding, Seven Principles for Positive Living, log on to RaskinResources.com. And tune in next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific for Positive Living, right here on VoiceAmerica.com.